entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. The show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders. That's you, by the way, so you can inspire others. I am so delighted to have back on the Business Builder Show my good friend, Ari Weinswig. Hi, Ari. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I don't know how many times you've been on, but I want to have you on at least 50 times in the next few years. So okay. You're you, on, man. You, you'll you'll do it, right? You'll do it. Okay. Ari Weinswig is, this or, is with this organization called Zingerman's. I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. So go, Ari. Okay, let's see. Where should I start? Uh, Zingerman's. We, we, Paul Saginaw, my partner, and I opened Zingerman's Delicatessen March 15th, 1982. So we're going to have our 38th anniversary, which is a little crazy, uh, this coming winter. Uh, we began uh, as a little 1,300 square feet, square foot space with 29 seats and 25 sandwiches and a little bit of uh, what one would now call specialty food. I think back then people just called it weird. And uh, <laughs> two employees and us. And uh, fast forwarding 37 and a half years, we're uh, an overnight success. And uh, we now have, I don't know, depending how you count, 10 or 11 businesses, 12 businesses all here in the Ann Arbor area. Uh, each of them is a unique business. We don't replicate, so we're not a chain or you know, multiple units of the same thing, but we have a bakery, a creamery, a, a sit-down restaurant, a Korean restaurant, an event space. Uh, Zing Train, as you know, is our training business where we teach our approaches to leadership and, and organizational life. Um, we have mail order and we ship food uh, all over the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I write books in my spare time, and we have about 700 employees year-round and hire about 350 more at the holidays for mail order. Yep. And uh, that's what we do. But everything is located here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yep. And that's, that's a 90-second that's a version. That was well done. You've practiced that. Um, yeah, <laughs> a c- couple of points that I'd like to drive home. You've already said uh, you're located, all of those businesses are located in and around Ann Arbor, Michigan. And all of those businesses fall under the, fall under the Zingerman's community of businesses, Correct. That's totally correct. So we operate as one organization with these semi-autonomous businesses within it. And it's a a longer conversation that we can do on one of the 50 visits to come that we're going to have together. But uh, we have managing partners in each business. uh, And we involve as many people as we can in in helping. And we actually have about 210, I think, now uh, staff people who own a, a small share in the business, too. That's fantastic. So we're going to talk about something that... Um, apparently had a huge impact on the way you and Paul uh, ran Zingerman's. You kind of 
didn't realize what you were doing, I guess, for a while, and we'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. But you wrote a pamphlet. The title of this is Going Into Business with Emma Goldman, 18 Anarchist Lessons for Business and Life on the 150th Anniversary of Her Birth. Let me say the title again. Going Into Business with Emma Goldman. Okay, Ari, who's Emma Goldman? <laughs> <laughs> Set us up. Well, this, this, and in a good way, I think this could be the first time Emma Goldman was the main subject of a business radio show. <laughs> That's true. But, but you and I both like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Emma Goldman, she, uh, well, as a lead-in, as you know, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, about a hundred and something years ago, called her the most dangerous woman in America. Um, she was an anarchist. Uh, well, well, I'm sure you're going to ask me probably about that. I studied the anarchists when I was in school here at University of Michigan, sure. uh, studying Russian history as a broad theme, but a lot about the anarchists. And we have the largest anarchist collection in the country is here in the graduate library on the seventh and eighth floor. It's called the Labadee collection. And, uh, you know, as a, whatever I was 19 year old, I used to go up there and study and I was drawn to a lot of what I was reading for any number of reasons having to do with free thinking and helping people be themselves and, uh, you know, getting out of authoritarian models and more into, Mm -hmm. you know, collaborative models, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, she was probably the the best known, uh, of, of anarchist thinkers, speakers, whatever, in the late 19th and early 20 or first half of the 20th century. She was sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek called the queen of the anarchists since there of mm-hmm. course is no queen in anarchism but it was it was a catchy title she came from lithuania uh in uh 18 let's think as he searches the pamphlet looking for the exact yep, date <laughs> I, that's exactly what i'm doing i just looked at it before we got on here but i already spaced it out okay anyway she was she was born uh, 1865, I think, and she, or 1869, and she came here in 1885 when she was 16. Uh, she was born in Lithuania, came to the United States uh, to get away really from her family and sort of the what she called the stultifying uh, environment uh, in Lithuania in, the, in her community there. And she quickly uh, became engaged with anarchist thinking here in the United States. And with by the time she was in her late teens and early 20s, she was already speaking to audiences of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she ended up going on to write a lot and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. She was expelled from the United States in 1919. Uh, there was a lot of activity uh, to sort of th- throw anarchists out of the country and keep them from getting into the country. It's mm-hmm. a little parallel to some of the stuff that's going on now, but we're not going to go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> anyway, she lived her later years somewhat in France. Uh, she went to, they sent her to Russia, which had just had the revolution. She thought it was going to be great, but she quickly realized it was horrible and wrote an, another book that was called My Disillusionment with Russia, where she sort of blasted Lenin and what became Soviet communism, which she was really one of the first people to, to critique it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she died in Toronto, uh, 1940. So I would just call her a rabble rouser back then. Uh, another way of saying, uh, an anarchist, uh, at 18, 18- I think there's, there's more to it, obviously than that. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Then you're a rabble rouser, I guess. Yeah. Well, with uh, positive vibes, because obviously you identified with her, uh, you know, at a young age at the University of Michigan. And, and um, an important part of connecting this story to 
the title of going into business with Emma Goldman. Yeah. At one time, she actually operated a luncheonette, correct? Yeah, that was sort of the, that's a little funny sidebar in the, in the, in the, in the pamphlet. Um, so it's a, it's, it's not a secret, but it's not, you know, she's very well known. I mean, if people Google her, you're going to find a ton of things. She spoke a lot on women's rights, birth control, all sorts of, at the time, very controversial, maybe now controversial topics. Uh, but as an aside, uh, in 1892, uh, she and Alexander Berkman, who had been her friend and lover, then friend again, et cetera, et cetera, opened a little, you know, luncheonette, or sometimes it's called an ice cream shop in the town of Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, so it only lasted a little while, uh, but it actually, having done a little homework on it and come across some stuff, turned out to be quite successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, But they only kept it for about three months, and then some political stuff happened that they decided to close it up and go back to New York City. And but, that's, yeah, that's kind of where the whole uh, movement, if you will, uh, where she was challenging uh, some societal uh, thinking yep. and norms, and, and that's kind yep. of where that started. So yep. so mm -hmm. in 1982, I think you said you and Paul started uh, Zingerman's, and you were yep. running that for quite some time, I guess, and then you had a reason to go back and study Emma a little, a little yeah. closer, right? Yeah, so the, I mean, the common misconception of anarchism, which is the popular portrayal in the press, is like people throwing rocks and chaos and, you know, which is completely not accurate. Uh, you know, have there been people who call themselves anarchists that threw rocks? Yes, but there are also Jews, Catholics, Muslims, you know, mm -hmm. business people, whatever, who've mm -hmm. done violent things. So I, I think classifying the entire uh, philosophy based on the acts of a few people is not super helpful. Uh, in, let's see, when I graduated from Michigan with my history degree, of course, there's nothing you can do with a history degree. And I mostly just knew I didn't want to go home okay. to Chicago where I'd grown up in order to do that. I needed a job and without getting into a lot of detail, I ended up taking a job as a dishwasher in a local restaurant where one of my roommates was waiting tables. And so I really just, you know, I had no intent to go into business or, no particular interest in food. I just needed a job, but I stumbled <laughs> into work that I really love and I've come to love food and cooking. And that's really my day to day passion. Uh, and then also great people. So Paul Saginaw, my partner, who you mentioned uh, earlier on, was the general manager at that restaurant. Frank Carollo, one of the partners in our bakery, was a line cook. And Maggie Bayless, uh, one of the partners in Zinc Train, our training business, was a cocktail waitress. So anyway, I started working in food and I started prepping and line cooking. And then I started to manage kitchens. And when I first stepped into a management role, I, I kind of tried to apply a lot of my anarchist studies about, you know, believing in people and letting people mm -hmm. organize themselves and mm -hmm. sort of tried leaving them mostly alone to do the right thing, which didn't work at all. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I then started to read a lot of leadership books, you know, all the ones you also have read Peter Drucker and all kinds of things like that. And, and started to, you know, try to develop my skills as a, as a leader. And for years, I would sort of jokingly, when I would do introductions, when I would speak at business conferences or whatever, say I was a lapsed anarchist because I still nice. believed in it, but I had sure. stopped practicing. And, uh, you know, they, people would chuckle, but most of them just are scared of the word anarchism. So that was the <laughs> end of the conversation. Nice. Anyway, about 10 or 11 years, 12 years ago, maybe, uh, Deborah Dash Moore, who was then the head of the Jewish Studies Department at the university here, asked me if I would come speak to the department. And she, I, the year before that, I had written a long, like 10,000 word essay on the history 
period Jewish rye bread, which she liked. And she knew I had studied the anarchists. So she wanted to call the talk like anarchism on rye or rye bread and anarchism or something like that. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's cute. You know, we'll, we'll, on we go. And when I got to like two months out from the talk, I thought, wow, you know, uh, at business conferences, nobody knows who the anarchists are, so it doesn't matter if I remember a lot. But I thought at Jewish studies, like this is all these professors who know more than I knew. I better get my books out or I'm going to look like a total idiot. Right. So I, I went back and I pulled out my old books and I started to reread some of it. And it, it blew my mind uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, you sort of alluded to before, which is that I realized unwittingly or unconsciously we had actually implemented a lot of the theory and beliefs that I had studied and I hadn't done it like consciously trying to do that, but it was sort of how we had evolved the organization. Mm -hmm. And then even more importantly, it blew my mind because I realized that so much of what now you and I uh, would call progressive business, Mm -hmm. uh, things like what you would hear from your friend and mine, Sean Eskenazi, when you Mm -hmm. interview him and so many other people that you have on the show, it's very parallel to what a lot of what the anarchists were mm-hmm. thinking back in in the early century. And she was really one of the leads of that. And uh, the pamphlet really is going back to her work and pulling out themes that, you know, not everything she said was on the money, but sure. a, a lot of it was very, I think, applicable. And uh, I, I reference a, a piece from the St. Louis uh, mirror from, you know, what back in her own era where, uh, the writer said she was 8,000 years ahead of her time. It was actually a very complimentary article, even though she was generally super controversial. And I, in the pamphlet, I said, well, I, I, I love the spirit of what he was saying, but I think he was off by 7,900 years Right. and that, that she, this, this is her time. And that, uh, a lot of what's going not so great in the business world and maybe the world at large would be helped enormously if people were to operate by a lot of the principles that she was advocating. She would most likely be a very well-recognized author. She, and you mentioned this in the book, in the pamphlet, that uh, she may have been the first official social entrepreneur, uh, which is lauded today. I mean, you're in that category and Sean is in that category and and more and more companies, uh, Cascade Engineering down in Grand Rapids uh, is yep. under that category, right? Yep. So yep. so the things that she talked about 100 years or so, or 125, whatever, years ago, um, might be looked at as innovative and progressive, not might be, would be looked at as yeah. innovative and, uh, you know, very, very positive ways to treat people and to run organizations. So inspired by that, you wrote the pamphlet, Going Into Business with Emma Goldman, and you came up with the 18 Anarchist Lessons for Business and Life. Yep. We can't cover them all, but uh, would you like to start someplace, or should I point out one or two? I'd be glad to. Let's start with number one. Why not? There you go. Start Um, with number one. So, uh, well, number one, I'll just read it to you. It says, design work that brings joy, purpose, and creative passion. So I think you just had Rich Sheridan on the show. I did. Uh, from Menlo. I actually just saw him at Zingerman's Roadhouse two nights ago. Okay. Uh, he was in there for dinner. And uh, his book, Joy, Inc., and then his follow-up book, also about joy and how they work to build that into Menlo, uh, you know, is a fabulous book, and he's a great guy. 
And here's something she wrote in 1910. She wrote, the lack of joy and purpose in work turns life into a veil of misery and tears. So mm. I love Rich, but she was saying the same thing, you know, a century <laughs> before. Yeah. And in the, in the same category, uh, I'm going to read a slightly longer quote, which is really the one that clicked in my mind to make me say, wow, this is what we're already trying to do. And this is what progressive business in theory is supposed to be trying to do. And this is what she was writing about in 1910, and we're in 2010 at the time. So she said uh, she was writing about anarchism, but I took it to mean about the way we work. She said, our goal is the freest possible expression of all the latent powers of the individual, which is only possible in a state of society where man is free to choose the mode of work, the conditions of work, and the freedom to work. One to whom the making of a table the building of a house or the tilling of the soil is what the painting is to the artist and the discovery to the scientist. The result of inspiration, of intense longing and deep interest in work as a creative force. Mm. Good stuff. It blew my mind because I'm like, that's what we're trying to do. I yeah. mean, to take yeah. seemingly what most people would class as meaningless, you know, mundane hourly jobs and turn it into a construct in which everybody, whether you're a busboy, a baker, a dishwasher, whatever, that everybody's involved in the organization and, and helping them see ways to bring creativity to everything they do. Yeah, in a way you're covered uh, point number two, which is don't just teach people how to do a job. Help them learn to run the business, and that's what yep. you're doing. I'm going to jump over to number three if you're okay, Ari. Okay. Absolutely. Build an organization that helps people be themselves. Build an organization that helps people be themselves. Go deeper on that one for me. Well, so this is uh, something I've become ever more engaged with this belief. And there's a lot of other stuff I've written uh, a lot in part four of the Zingerman's Guide to Good Leading series, which you know about the power of beliefs in business, talks about this some also. But, uh, you know, one of the, the things that people I think misconceive about anarchism is that it's opposed to organization. It's not. It's all about organization. Mm -hmm. The point, though, is just that the people that are part of the organization get to help design the way it works. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it's, it's not opposed to things being organized. It's just, it's opposed to people hierarchically at the top imposing organization with no conversation with those upon whom it's being imposed. So I think a big piece of that is that you're helping people to be themselves in their own creative way. And interestingly, uh, so I said, Rich Sharon was at the roadhouse. He was there with a group of like 20 people who had come to Menlo from a, another, uh, I think, auto industry company to learn about Menlo's approaches, and they brought him to the roadhouse for dinner. So one of the things I'll often do when they're asking, you know, he asked me if I would say a few words to the group, which I did, and then I often just turn to whoever's waiting on the tables and say, here, ask these guys, what do you think? And uh, Kayla Donnelly was working, and she told a great story about her experiences and why she likes being part of, the, of our organization. And then Michael Smith was working, and I turned to him and he, he kind of hesitated for a minute and I could tell like, you know, okay, he feels caught on the spot, but then mm -hmm. within 30 seconds, he, you know, he just started talking about how important it is that everybody who's in the organization is encouraged to be themselves and that when you feel grounded within yourself, you're going to do really good work and you're going to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I love that. Uh, the industrial model, which is what they were reacting, the anarchists were reacting to back in the day, right. you know, is really about dehumanization and tr- essentially treating people like interchangeable machine parts. And anarchism was the opposite, which is honor everybody as a unique, intelligent human being. And I think our job and what she was trying to say is how do you get that out of people in creative ways? And you're working on that. I should have said earlier, but I'll say it now. My guest is Ari Weinswig. He is with Zingerman's. Um, the best uh, websites, uh, there's two or three that you may want to mention, Ari. Yeah, tell me, yeah, tell me yeah. which ones you want to mention. Yeah, well, for, for, for the books and for this pamphlet, uh, we're kind of off the grid, so we do all our own design and we print everything here in Ann Arbor. Uh, zingtrain.com, which is our training business, is the best place to go for those. Uh, zingermans.com is if people want to order food to eat while they're reading, uh, is where we ship food all over the country. And then on any of the websites, there's a big Z in the upper right-hand corner. And if people click on that, it'll bring up all the other, whatever we got, 18 different websites. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't know how many years, it's years already that we know each other. I'm continually yeah. amazed every time I hear the story. Again, it keeps, it continues to amaze me. I don't want to go back to where we started, but it, you built everything in and around Ann Arbor, Michigan. You had all these opportunities to go outside and to investment yep. and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to dwell on that. But but it's part of the reason why you run your business and, and businesses the way that you do. So let's go back to, I'm going to say the pamphlet again, that you can yeah. get through Zingtrain.com. Yeah. As going into business with Emma Goldman, you can get that on Zingtrain.com. So let me see here. You want to pick one of the uh, 18? I, I, I have one in sure. my mind. but What do you got? Go. Well, you know I'm into the visioning process in a yeah. huge way. So yep. let's talk about number six. Share an yep. inspiring vision of the future. Yeah. So you, you already know, I mean, I've written way more in other uh, publications than in this one about visioning, but just in the context of bringing uh, Emma Goldman's beliefs and, and the things she, she worked for out into the business context. So she wrote, you know, a hundred and something years ago, when we can't dream any longer, we die. Mm. Now, clearly it doesn't mean we physically fall over, but, uh, you know, she understood that people without a vision that's inspiring, you know, and, and, and a hopeful future in front of them, that they're spiritually going to die. And that mm-hmm. when you know, this is progressive business. If people don't believe in the future that they're working towards, they don't do great work. And so all the studies that you and I have seen about disengagement, of Mm -hmm. which there's a new one every year, Mm -hmm. and none of us get it perfect, but, you know, when there is a vision of the future that people know what it is and they feel inspired by it and they want to be part of it, you know, clearly the work they do is going to be drastically, radically uh, better. I mean, there's just no way around it. And she understood that in in a meaningful way, you know, long before you and I were born. Mm. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> as, I, as I read the pamphlet, I've read it twice. Um, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking like, isn't it amazing? You know, the things that she was talking about 100, 150, well, she was born 150 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, how it so much applies today. And and, yep. and, and and the work that you're sharing is so, it's just so appropriate for our times. Um, well, I guess, Connected to the visioning is number seven, tap the powerful nature of purpose. Yeah. Let's, let's so go a little is, deeper on you that. Know, clearly, you and I know, I mean, one of the hot topics, you know, for sure. in a good way in the, in the business world right now, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, Vic Strecker, who lives here in Ann Arbor, who's mm-hmm. great in his book, mm-hmm. Life on Purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's talking about we need to get at the why. 
And, you know, she, again, understood this instinctively. Uh, she wasn't studying progressive business. There really wasn't much progressive business right. at the time. Right. But she wrote, uh, the rejuvenation of mankind needs the inspiration and energizing force of an ideal, which is, in essence, you know, getting at purpose. And, you know, again, they were reacting to the settings right at that time, which was, you know, the worst of factory work, mm. you know, mm. where people were just you know, used and abused and, you know, there were tools put to work for countless hours with right. terrible working conditions and, right. you know, completely discount. There was no, nobody shared a vision yeah. <laughs> in have open book management. Uh, the leaders didn't really, you know, I don't mean they were all terrible people, but it was not a common theme in management to like be concerned about the health and emotional well-being of the people you employed. Like you didn't want them to fall over because whatever, yeah. but yeah. people were pretty much interchangeable. And she understood that people need to to believe in what they're doing and, and to care about the future they're going after in order to really go out and do great work. Yeah. Um, I got to be careful what I say. Cause sometimes I editorialize too much. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to skip what I was thinking. So, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to skip that. I don't want to, you're the guest. I'm going to let you skip it. It's going to be your story. Um, I'm going to jump over to number 13. Okay. Honor the power of beliefs in business. And you wrote yeah. a pamphlet and you you write extensively about yeah. the beliefs, the power of beliefs in business. Let's go deeper yeah. on that one, Ari. Sure. So she said, uh, again, 100 years ago, she wrote, our institutions and conditions rest upon deep-seated ideas, what you and I would now call beliefs. She said to change those conditions and at the same time leave the underlying ideas and values intact means only a superficial transformation, one that cannot be permanent or bring real betterment. It is a change of form only, not of substance. So in essence, what she was saying, which is what I wrote a whole book about, is we can claim to change what we're going to do, but if we don't actually change what we believe in the long run, it won't work. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is going on a lot with, you know, let's say diversity programs around the country, which mm -hmm. I'm all for and believe in, mm -hmm. uh, the healthiest ecosystems in nature are the most diverse. It's, it's certainly true in organizations too. You mentioned the folks in Grand Rapids who are doing such great, uh, work Absolutely. in that sure. field. <clears throat> um, but uh, but anyway, if you know, I, we all know, I mean, you can send people to a class and tell them why diversity is a good idea. But if 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 they don't truly believe in it in the long run, they'll never do the work that is required. And so she understood that you could change the mission statement. You could change what you claim to do in your handbook. But if the leaders don't have the beliefs that support that or, or are congruent with that, the real work won't actually happen on the ground. And that was she was pretty ahead of her time. And she actually wrote a whole pamphlet called What I Believe. Um, and she understood that beliefs can change. And what? she actually wrote in there, what I believe is a process rather than a finality, which is totally one of the main themes of the Power of Beliefs book that I did, which is my realization of, in hindsight, the obvious, which is, you know, the beliefs that we've gleaned and that we work with every day are not genetic. They're things we learned from our parents, from the news, from our teachers, from our friends, from musicians, from athletes we admire, whatever, from books. And and that if they're helping us to get to the place we want to go, then fabulous. But sometimes all of us, starting with me, have beliefs that we, you know, I was going to say inherit, but we didn't inherit them. We learned them. You learned them. Uh, yep. We, we learned them and they're not helpful. And 
so understanding that we need to have the beliefs that are fully aligned with the vision, going back to where you started with that, that with the vision and the kind of organization we want to create and the kind of life we want to lead and understanding, as I wrote a lot about in the beliefs book, I mean, that positive beliefs lead to positive outcomes, but negative beliefs always lead to negative outcomes. And so believing negative things about our significant other we're not going to have a great relationship believing negative things about people we work with. It's not going to go well. And I don't mean there's not problems, but we can have positive beliefs about problems. Like this is an issue. We need to work on it. We can make headway with doing good work or a negative belief, which is this sucks. We're screwed. Yeah. This person's a jerk. There's nothing I can do is always unhelpful. What vision, uh, what year vision are you working on now at Singerman's? Well, our, uh, you know our 2020 uh, vision that we wrote in 07. Uh, in 94 was the first time Paul and I wrote one in a formal way that re- is close to what we now do regularly. And that one was for Zingerman's 2009. And there's a lot about that in part one of the business book, which is building a great business. Uh, 07, we wrote the 2020. And now we're working on 2032, which will be our 50th anniversary when we get there yeah (laughs) wow well we could go on for hours (laughs) but we we need to wrap up um i guess the point i just want to drive home ari is in case there's anyone in case anyone is thinking this is touchy feely baloney um (laughs) does this work Financially, well, it kind of works. I mean, we got 700 (laughs) employees and we're doing about 65 million dollars a year in sales, so it can't be completely screwed up. Not bad, (laughs) not bad at all. We we have all the same problems everyone else does. I mean, it's just finding more collaborative and coherent ways to deal with it. But I, I think the bottom lines of this really are in the beliefs, which was the last thing you brought up. But just you know, anarchism when it comes down to it, I'm not a trying to convince anybody to say they're an anarchist. I don't really care, but it's, it's really a way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gustav Landauer, who was another guy I learned a lot from, who was a German uh, guy, Pat, German Jewish guy in the early 19th century, kicked to death, but he was a pacifist, but kicked to death by the mm-hmm. German in 1919. But he, he said, we have no political beliefs. We have beliefs against politics, which... Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is not mm-hmm. what people generally think. They think it's all about politics. But he pointed out is that it's really a way of life, and it's really about how I treat you, how I treat myself, how I treat the newest employee that we have, how I treat somebody we just fired, how I treat our competitors. And that if we all choose to have positive beliefs in human beings, and that if we all choose kindness, generosity, and care, in our interactions and that if we choose to work with humility and dignity and compassion in everything we do, Mm -hmm. I think the world would probably be better. I'm positive it would be. And by the way, folks, anybody listening, you can go to zingtrain.com and get the pamphlet that we're mentioning here, going into business with Emma Goldman. You get Ari's books and you can sign on for different uh, training programs. Uh, The principles and ideas that Ari is talking about, they teach. Uh, all, yep. all of it at zingtrain.com. You can take yourself for your company or uh, send a select few, whatever, to us. They have several courses and across the board of everything that Ari is talking about. You can uh, subscribe to or join or participate in at zingtrain.com. And the website for the uh, for the ordering online is zingermans.com. That's correct, zingermans.com. Yeah, yep. and then also if uh, people, just because you mentioned subscribing, if I, I do a weekly e-news called Ari's Top 5, which 
which is uh, great. I think you get. And, I do. Uh, I do. Uh, if people go to zingermanscommunity.com, there's a thing on the towards the right side of the headers that says newsletters. And if they click that, it'll take you to e-news, which if you click that, it'll take you to where you can sign up for that or any of the other like 29 different e-newses that we do. And then if people are within this area, I'm actually doing an event on the uh, pamphlet and, and Emma Goldman at Zingerman's Roadhouse on Tuesday, November 5th at 530. So people, if they're in the area and want to come to that, I'm going to talk even more in depth about it there. And uh, my own email is just ari at zingermans.com. So if people that are listening have questions or follow up or whatever, please reach out and I'd be, be honored to be in dialogue. Ari, it's always a pleasure. You know, I love you. I love your work. And so thank you so much for taking time to be with Back at you, sir. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to uh, the next session that we do. Of the 50. Take care of yourself, yeah. man. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Builders Show. To learn more about me, and I'm Marty Wolf, go to MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. That's MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. To learn more about Kelly Hoey, go to her website, which is jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. And, of course, you can find Kelly and Marty on LinkedIn and Twitter. A reminder, you can find all our Business Builders shows on iTunes, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf.